Maybe I could be like an announcer, like a columnist. I don't believe what I just saw. You know how I always make those interesting comments during the game? Personally, I think we got hosed on that call. Yeah, yeah, you make good comments. So what about that? You know, they tend to give those jobs to ex-ball players and people that are, you know, in broadcast. How about a talk show host? This is In the Booth. Talk show host, that's good. <laughs> I think I'd be good at that. I talk to people all the time. With Matt Park. Here we go, everybody. Welcome on a game day Tuesday. In the booth on ESPN Radio. Good to have you along for the ride. Phone calls welcome today at 315-437-7644. If you'd like to chime in, your thoughts, be they doom and gloom or optimistic on uh, Syracuse basketball. The Orange uh, tonight take on a ranked team in the Dome. Great nugget from uh, the Buffalo Sports Information Director, Brian Wolf. I, I don't know that I would have thought to look this one up myself, but it got me down the rabbit hole uh, for quite a while yesterday. This is the first time since the mid-1980s that Syracuse was unranked and home against a ranked team, non-conference. Of course, you're always going to have ranked teams coming in in conference play in the Big East and uh, certainly in the ACC. But to be unranked and have a conference team come in, uh, or a, a, you know, a team that you scheduled, you chose to play, and to come in ranked higher than Syracuse is a pretty rare deal. There was one that was close in 2003 on the way to the championship. Syracuse beat a Missouri team at the Dome that uh, was ranked 13th. The Orange uh, were 25th, so just barely in the polls then. This is the highest ranked non-conference opponent to come into the Dome since then. To give you an idea, Buffalo riding high on a 10-0 start and uh, feeling pretty good about itself. I would imagine uh, just leaving a shoot-around at the Dome as we speak before uh, an 8 o'clock tip-off tonight. Looking closer here, apparently in the Associated Press poll, Missouri was number 11 back in uh, 2003. And uh, as far as the coaches' poll at that time, Syracuse was just out, and, uh, and Missouri was 13. At any rate, this is a rare occurrence. Fun to go back and look at the names, though, on the, the last time that Syracuse had, as an unranked team, a non-conference ranked team visit, it happened twice in the 1984 season. And the two teams were number one North Carolina with Michael Jordan. That was in December. And then in January, number 17 Oklahoma with Wayman Tisdale. So two, uh, I mean, all-timers. Wayman Tisdale's, uh, we lost him too soon due to illness, but uh, he was an incredible college player. Obviously, Michael Jordan, arguably the best player of all time. And uh, Wayman Tisdale, certainly a college Hall of Famer and had a solid uh, NBA career as well. The Orange lost uh, both of those games. Still going to have to go back and dig a little bit to find the last time. I guess it was the previous year. Don't have to go that far. Previous year... <coughs> A game we never really talk about around here that uh, Syracuse won as an unranked team at home against a ranked non-conference team. That was five slamma jamma. Houston came in in the year that it would win the national championship. And uh, Syracuse beat them uh, 92-87. to <clears throat> Those are the days, Polly. I was trying to think 
Kentucky rolled in here one year too, but I'm guessing Syracuse that's was ranked. Yeah, Syracuse yeah. was yep. ranked. And, ranked. Uh, and beat them. You know, beat a, a good Kentucky team, beat a good Arizona team, you know, non conference. Phone lines open at 4 ESPN 44 437 7644. I don't know why we don't ever really talk about that. We should have, when we had Leo Routens on the other day, um, dug into it because he would have played in the game that 1983 Houston. I mean, that's, they that, were, yeah, that's they were how rolling. They win that game. <laughs> yeah. It came Elijah and uh, Clyde Drexler back in that era. Um, and uh, Houston obviously hasn't been the, the same since, but uh, those are a couple of the early Coach Beheim tenure victories that uh, were awfully impactful and uh, ones that we don't really talk about that the Syracuse team in 83 went on uh, to the second round of the NCAA tournament. We made uh, mention of that run uh, earlier this season because they lost to Ohio State in Hartford on that call. Tom. Tom. Too far away? It is too far away. It's hard to it, – a it bad is. angle. Not you, Tom. Not your fault. Just the screen that displays your name. Tom and Cicero is with us. Hello, Tom. So, Ticketmaster, StubHub, and the other site, there are a ton of tickets left for this. And I'm talking great seats. I don't think we're going to have a big crowd there tonight. Tuesday at 8 o'clock game. This is Buffalo's last really big game. So, I mean, these guys are coming in. They may have more to play for than us, even though we got it all on the line. This is going to be a tough win. Tough to get or whoop lost you there. Uh is he getting paid by websites? Yeah, I don't know what he what he was doing there. <laughs> yeah, stuff up and the other site. Yeah, I don't know what that was about. Um He's saying the crowd's you, not gonna be big enough for a game that's had the, a game of this. I don't magnitude. think that's what he was saying. I think he was saying it's gonna be tough to win because the crowd wasn't big enough. Why'd you why'd you turn him down? We could He hung we, up. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah, no, he, um, he just got his pitching for StubHub. Yeah, ran. let's just say this, though, when you're talking about crowds here. When you say it's not a big crowd, every Syracuse crowd is big. Everyone. 17,000 is a big crowd. Okay, uh, there's 350 Division One basketball programs. 347 of them would take a crowd of 17,000 in a heartbeat. Heartbeat. Syracuse happens to be one that isn't, you know, so for us that feels a little smaller. I think yeah, it's a Tuesday night, eight o'clock. No students. A lot going on. No students. Uh, you know, not part of their package as as they're gone. So yeah, there's going to be some tickets up for grabs. That's not a surprise. I don't think that's really indicative of uh, the Syracuse team or the Buffalo team or anything else. But I will say this: Buffalo doesn't resonate like you know a major program coming in. They just haven't been on the block long enough for that for people to have gotten the memo that the that they're good and they're really good. And you know, one of the themes that that we have is Buffalo is not just like this cute little thing down the road, or isn't it nice that they're competitive in the Mac? No, Buffalo has been in the tournament a lot in recent years. Last year, they were a 13 seed in the tournament against Arizona and beat them by 21. Like, no joke, owned the game, you know, from the start. So, yeah, it's going to be a, a tough game. Buffalo brings back six of their top seven scores from that, that time. I. Don't, not only do I not feel horrible about Syracuse's chances, I feel okay about their chances. I feel pretty good about their chances to win this game. I think they're going to bounce back. I think they don't tend to lose two games in a row at home. They don't tend to play poorly two games in a row at home. Coach Beheim wants to see a lot more. He's upset, obviously. Uh, he says, look, we haven't played a, a full game outside of perhaps at Ohio State 
for the year. I, I think you have to expect that they'll play better, certainly better than the second half against Old Dominion. I think people are ready to uh, write this team off because it lost to a team that they don't follow. Old Dominion is probably going to make the tournament too. Um, so it, it's not a good win, or not a good loss, I'm sorry. Uh, period. Not a good loss from Saturday. But Old Dominion is better than is given, they're given credit. And I don't think that's one, you know, you put a bag over your head and, oh my gosh, we lost Old Dominion and let's shut down the program. They've got an opportunity here to uh, bounce back and the only caution that that I would say about it is it's um, this game doesn't undo the old Dominion loss. You, you know, this game's already kind of budgeted as a win because you tend to circle your home non-conference games as wins. This is just an anomaly that Buffalo comes in and they're better than you want them to be. Uh, to make up for old Dominion, you're going to have to pick off a game in, in conference play or a half a game that uh, you maybe didn't anticipate, and there'll be opportunities for that. If they get this one, so going in, going into the conference, they'll have more quad one wins this, yeah. than they did last year. Yeah, yeah, you'll so, have two good non-conference wins. Yeah, um, you know, you'll be ten and three. That's that's three losses, not ideal. Two losses against major conference opponents, and then Old Dominion, but. Uh, all is not lost at this stage. On the show today, Cam Lynch talking uh, NFL football, but also what his point of view would be on uh, Syracuse at this stage as they continue uh, bowl preparations. And uh, later in the show, Josh Wetzel, the voice of the UB Bulls. Brendan, is it? Let's go to Brendan on the phone. Hello, Brendan. Hey, man. How are you, buddy? Okay, how are you? Good. I, uh, I always get a chuckle when people call into radio shows and question a Hall of Fame coach, but I'm going to be a total hypocrite and do exactly that right that's now. What, that's why they make um, radio shows. Can we yeah, predict exactly. which, the, what, what the what, okay, what it'll how be? About, hold on, uh, hold on, on Brennan. Polly and I will write down our guesses. And, right, uh, hold on. And uh, you you just hold that real quick. I'm going to go with one main theme here, Polly. You go right, with I got another. My, I got, it's like uh, um, it's like the newlywed game. We're going to guess what Hall of Fame criticism is coming. Okay, <laughs> Brendan, right. what do you got? Brendan, what do you got? It's a, it's regarding Syracuse basketball. My, my recollection is basically this team plays its best. In my again recollection of Syracuse hoops, when the when the rotation is shortened, I think the best lineup for this team right now is to have Marek Dolge play at the five, start at the five. I think he gives you the best chance to win right out of the gate. Hold one second the there, two- Brennan. Partial credit here, Polly? Partial credit? Uh, Yes, because he's... He, I'll, I'll give you credit for that. I was way off. I went with uh, centers haven't developed was my question. No plays are run on offense was uh, my guess. Okay. Damn. <laughs> All right, anyway, Brennan, <laughs> Go uh, ahead. that was fun. Um, but yes, uh, Dolezal at the five, and what else? Not the answer. Well, maybe it's, well, I mean, Chukwu at the five, I don't think has been the answer either. So I'm, I'm trying to think of ways to prevent maybe losing to teams like Old Dominion at home. And I think that this team, when they're not looking over their shoulder, every time they have a turnover or a bad shot, they're going to get yanked. They're so deep this year. I think it's almost, it's obviously a positive the majority of the time, but the way this team is, is built, I think it's, it, it, it can be construed as a negative. Don't get me wrong. You want to have depth on your basketball team, but every time, you know, Chukwu does something wrong, he's out of the game. Every time... 
Elijah Hughes does something wrong, he's out of the game. I think that if you, which is, which to a point I understand it, it's coaching, you want to make sure guys are being aware of mistakes that they're making, but you saw how far this team went last year. Frank Howard, Tyus, O'Shea, for the most part, Chukwu would sit to be in his injury. Marek, they weren't looking over their shoulder. They knew they could play free. They knew if they made a mistake, it didn't matter. They went back out there, they stayed in the game, and, and, and they more often than not ended up making up for the, the mistakes they made previously. For whatever reason, that's not happening this year, and I don't know if that is the answer, but to me, I think the best lineup uh, for my you know limited knowledge by comparison to a Hall of Fame coach is is not to have Pascal Chugu at the center. I, th- I would come out with 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 Marek at the five. I think he's a he's obviously he's, he can stretch the floor a little bit. He's a good passer. He's got a good knowledge of the game. He's scrappy. You know, he's not going to miss chippy shots like Pascal does almost every game from what I've seen. I'd bring Jalen Carey off the bench to spell one of the guards. And other than that, I'm not going much deeper than that. I don't know if you guys think I'm no, crazy or no, what you think. No, I, don't think you're, I don't think you're crazy. Uh, there's a, a couple little tweaks I would make. It's a very good call, Brendan. We appreciate it. We appreciate you I being a, crazy. a good sport as we play along. Here's a couple things that are at play. Number one, what you said about shorter rotations, that's true of virtually every team in college basketball and in college basketball history, the one of the misconceptions that you know Beheim refuses to play X number of players or or whatever or or that the way it was last year is the way he always wants. It's not quite like that. He wants to have two big men to rotate. He wants a wing that he can substitute, and he wants a guard he can substitute, and he wants to play eight guys. Teams that legitimately play ten and up guys are a couple things at play. They either have a ton of talent like North Carolina, and they legitimately have ten players. Or they press the bejesus out of you like West Virginia, and it doesn't really matter who's in the game. They're just going to keep going with, with fresh legs. The Syracuse women's basketball team is like that to a degree. They, they have 12 people in six minutes into the game. Um, that stuff is overrated. They don't have enough. You know, They've got some depth. There's some guys. But look at Robert Braswell isn't playing. Howard Washington isn't playing. Buddy Beheim, for all intents and purposes, is a you know he goes in to snipe one or two shots maybe, but he's not playing. So they're not playing a, a ton of guys. My whole thing is, and Dolajai does give them something, and Chuku obviously needs to to give more. I just think the reason you don't play super minutes like that or mega minutes or start the game that way is you're giving away such an advantage, you, you know. And I think you have to be optimistic that Chuku at some point at least plays like a seven-two guy. So to give away what you have at seven-two to play Dolajai at that position. For the long haul, I think is uh, turning down. You know, the, one of the benefits of the way you've built your roster. Yeah, defensively, it completely negates having. You know, the the, the back end of the zone. If Marek's in, he's right. not blocking shots. No, and it's Pascal. By the way, had eight block shots last year against Buffalo. Six in the first half. So people want to crush the centers. I understand that they're not producing my thing is they're giving you they have to give more period they're giving a little they need to give more but they're not going to meet the expectation if your expectation is that pascal chuku is all of a sudden going to be a back to the basket force and you're going to throw it into him and he's going to be dunking on people's heads and he's going to average a double double forget about it it's not going to happen that's not who he is um but they have other players they have other solutions and the the only other criticism I would have on Brendan's call is they didn't lose the uh, 
actually one qu- quick criticism, my Brett, and then one thing very much in his support. They didn't lose the uh, Old Dominion game because the lineup was wrong or the rotation was wrong. They didn't play well. They missed a bunch of free throws, didn't rebound. I, I don't think, you know, if Marek plays 30 minutes, is he going to get more rebounds than, than Chuku? I, I don't know, but Chuku's got to get more than, than, than he's got. One thing I will say in Brendan's case, I think the player most susceptible, if that makes any sense, or most emblematic of what he talked about that would benefit from not looking over his shoulder is Frank Howard. I think last year Frank had a really good season. Was it perfect? No, it was a really good season, and he played a lot of minutes, and he knew he was going to play a lot of minutes. The previous year with John Gillen, that wasn't really the case. This year with Jalen Carey, I don't think Frank has responded well. Frank hasn't been at full health I still think he's got an opportunity to restore uh, what we expected him and to return to the, the form he had last year. Jalen Carey, I think you'll see get more minutes over time here. But uh, Brendan's point is well taken, and we appreciate the call. Calls uh, later in the show if you'd like to swing those, 437-7644. Overdue for a timeout. We'll come back with Cam Lynch, talk a little football next. Josh Wetzel, the voice of UB Bulls basketball later in the program as well. This is In the Booth on ESPN Radio. This is In the Booth, presented by CH Insurance, in your corner. Welcome back, everybody. We are in the booth on this uh, Monday afternoon. Good to have you along with us, or Tuesday afternoon. Once we get the day of the week straight, we're, we're good. It's all downhill from there. Always good to have Cam Lynch on. That's how I knew it was a Tuesday. We have Cam on uh, Tuesdays, which is the yeah, off thanks. day for NFL players. And Cam, good to have you uh, with us today. How goes it? Uh, it goes well, my man. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to be here. Uh, thankful for to be a part of a, a great uh, legend. Uh, Matt, Matt Park on a Tuesday yeah, right. here uh, on a nice day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my man. Uh, coming off uh, the loss of the Ravens, kind of one where uh, when I first checked in on that game, you got a road win looking like, you know, you got the lead on the road. Baltimore scratching their head. Lamar Jackson, what's he going to do? And then it uh, looked like Jackson came alive a little bit in a, in a 20 to 12 win for the Ravens against your Bucks. Yeah, man. He's the Houdini. Uh, I, I saw it on TV against Syracuse, man. I saw it in live person. Uh, he, he's a legend. Uh, he's unbelievable, man. And, um, you know, I just. Uh, it was it was pretty cool to watch, and uh, you know we got to do better, man. At the end of the day, um, so this week we got uh, you know the Cowboys, and they got um, Ezekiel Elliott coming up, and you know we have to plan to stop him and Dak Prescott and those guys. Well, you just said uh, fun to watch. I was going to ask you about that as you go to Jerry's world, and I want an NFL player, you specifically, Cam. I want you to admit that you watched that big screen in the middle of the field because how could you not? Yeah, man, it's going to be insane. Uh, I, you know, I experienced it once, um, you know, we, a few years ago we played there and, uh, we, you know, we took an L there, but I think this week uh, coming up, I think we'll get a W. The Cowboys come in off a shutout loss against the Colts. They got punched right in the mouth uh, on the road in Indy. And so uh, they've got to be talking about scratching their head. They've got to be doing that a little bit as they come home, huh? Yeah, most definitely. They, I mean, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose, but – I know last time we came, we went there, you know, we took a loss. So, uh, you know, this week we're going to come back strong and uh, just prepare for a team that, you know, beat the Saints. And that was a playoff team that we took a loss to, but we beat in the first week in the Saints. So I think coming up soon we have to get ready for a team that's going to be ready to play uh, coming up in the holidays. Yeah, we'll get back to the Cowboys in just a second. I wanted to touch on the Saints who won in Carolina last night, Monday Night Football. That's a game in your division. And, uh, I guess I didn't pay attention closely enough uh, to my NFC South to see um, 
all the kind of bad blood that was between those teams, good-natured or not, they played it up quite a bit on the uh, Monday Night Football broadcast last night, but the, the Saints sweeping the Panthers last year, including, of course, a, a playoff win and then sending them the broom and, and that kind of thing. Uh, looks like the Saints like to rub it in when things are going well for them. Oh, man, yeah. I mean, it's, when you're on top, it, it feels nice. So I think we, we had the Falcons coming up. Uh, in about two weeks, so it's going to be a rivalry there too. So get ready for that one. But like I, we have to stay focused on this next <laughs> week coming up in the Cowboys. Uh, rivalry game is always nice. Syracuse has Westby coming up soon, so <laughs> it's it's rivalry season, man. It's it's holiday season, rivalry season. I know you're going to be at the game. We'll ask you about that in a second. Can't uh, wait to see you uh, when the Orange take on West Virginia in the Camping World Bowl. It is a week from this coming Friday. As for your game this coming Sunday, Cam, against the Cowboys, uh, you mentioned Ezekiel Elliott. One of the the attributes that's pointed out about him that makes him so good, he's beyond his years in terms of his patience in running. How hard is that from a linebacker perspective when he's not really in a hurry to hit the hole? He looks for something to develop and then explodes. Well, I mean, when you have a defensive line like ours, man, he, hey, he better, hey, he better find something because you got JPP, yep. you got Gerald McCoy, you got Vita Vey. I don't know if you saw Vita Vey the last Vita Vey the last game, but he put some Pro Bowlers from the Ravens offensive line on their on their back. That's a, a big times. dude. They came out seven or eight tackles, so he's a first rounder for sure. We found that out last week, and you got Carl Nassib on the uh, on the other side. Um, so we have a nasty defensive line, so you have to get past them first. Well, we're a big fan of Carl Nassib uh, with Ryan being here, of course. And uh, Carl had his uh, star turn and hard knocks this year. It's great to see him land on his feet with your team. We're visiting with Cam Lynch, former Orange standout, now with the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Bucks and Cowboys on Sunday. All right, uh, Cam, we're now about a week and a half away from the bowl game. And Coach Babers said yesterday he kind of laid out his plan, I guess, how to use these practices. He feels like you can get more work done in bowl preparation than you can even in in spring ball. And they have their practice. Then they kind of turn the seniors loose once they've done some game planning and they work with the the younger guys. What can you do in this time of year if you're an in-development type player that actually gets you better? You can sharpen your skills. You can get ready for the next year coming up. You can get ready for the bowl game. You never know, right? In these games, next man up mentality. Um, you're going to need everybody to be prepared, everybody locked in. It's all about focus, um, right? You can practice and run around as much as you want, but I realize the NFL playing at a high level is all about focus. So as long as everybody is focused on being West Virginia and winning this this uh, football game, um, you know, everything will be great. Okay, well, that's that's the other thing we have for you is focus. How would you, if it's up to you, Cam, design your approach to a bowl when you've got to get your work done in terms of game planning and getting everybody coached up and being in great shape, but also you go to the bowl and you've got the shopping spree, you've got the hospital visit, you've got the downtime, you've got the pep rally, you've got the booster club, you've got the game. So this is unlike any other road trip for a college player. Right. I think you, you keep it, you keep it similar. So you keep it similar. You keep it consistent. Right. Um, I think the week before the weeks prior, you kind of you kind of simulate what the bowl week is going to be like, right? It's just like we're about to go on air somewhere, you know, right? Or go live on TV, right? Sometimes you're going to practice. So you have to simulate a bowl week for them, and they have to see it before it happens. So when it does happen, do get into Orlando and do go shopping or 
see their family or have that downtime, be able to simulate that similar schedule. But then when that Friday comes, when that Thursday comes, you know, that Wednesday beforehand, kind of get that, that similar game readiness going right and get ready to ramp up for the game. So they have to simulate a game week, a bowl week, um, prior to, and I think they'll be successful in that way. I think if any of the guys are listening right now, Cam, they said, hey, listen to Cam. He said we should go do a practice run at Best Buy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know what? Get ready to load the bus up, man. Load it up. <laughs> I mean, shoot, we're going bowling, so uh, why not? Yeah. All right. Well, a four hundred dollar gift card to Best Buy is about the best thing that can happen to a college football player. That's pretty exciting. Oh yeah, that's pretty awesome. Shout out to Best Buy. Shout out to you know that guys don't ever forget that. I remember we went to the Pinstripe Bowl. We got some great gift cards there too. So uh, shout out to the Pinstripe Bowl and shout out to just you know these bowl organizations um, showing love to these kids who deserve it and more. All right, buddy. Good stuff as always. No show next week. Next. Uh, Tuesday is this thing called Christmas, so we're going to take that one uh, off. Hope uh, you and yours have a, a great uh, Christmas and holiday, and uh, can't wait to see you in Orlando. Yeah, man. Happy holidays. I'll see you soon. All right. Sounds good. Cam Lynch of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Good to uh, join us every uh, Tuesday throughout the football season. Good dude. They're coming up on the conclusion of their uh, regular season, and uh, certainly some changes afoot in Tampa, but uh, Cam has been Uh, doing his thing and joining us uh, every week to tell us about it. We'll come back with Do We Care in just a moment. Get into the Buffalo Bulls with their play-by-play announcer, Josh Wetzel, later on the show as well. You're listening to In the Booth on ESPN Radio. Do we care? Interesting. I doubt it. No way. The other thing. Tedious. But we will do this segment anyway. Don't care anymore. Don't care no more. I don't care. So an idea has been floated. Uh, Commissioner Roger Goodell has even uh, talked about it publicly. Replacing the kickoff in football. I don't know what they'll do to start the game, but apparently after a touchdown, the idea would be to give a team the ball that just scored on its own 30-yard line in a 4th and 15 scenario. They could elect a punt or go for it and keep possession with a successful conversion. Credit to Greg Schiano for this idea. Yeah, I've heard something like this floated before, and it's really an outside-the-box kind of thing. I I don't know if this is something, you know, I never played football. I don't know if this is something derived like from a practice drill or whatever. It has kind of a make it, take it type concept to it, uh, which is cool. I'm for it. I think teams would mostly just punt it away and, and away we go. And in that, if that's the case, then have you really solved anything? Uh, you know, kickoffs are the most dangerous play. Punts are pretty dangerous. Um not quite as many collisions, I think, on a on a punt. It would allow a team to go for it. I don't know. Then to fake punts become more of a thing. Uh, you know. You also how much deception? I don't know. I don't know how likely a team would actually be to convert on fourth and fifteen when everybody knows they're going. It makes comebacks more possible. Yeah, because right? instead I think so. of yeah, the outside go, kick, yeah, you'd go make it, take it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because that to me, I do lament that. Onside kicks now are almost impossible to recover given the the rules, the the way they're set up for safety. So it's certainly easier to convert a fourth and 15 than to uh, win an onside kick now. So I'm for that. Um, It'd be fun. Yeah. I don't hate it. I don't think it'll happen. At at the 30, you know, I'm just trying to think of various scenarios. If a team just scored and now – 
you go for it, you miss, you you give the other team possession, let's say with an incomplete pass, they're already in field goal range. If yeah, you know, they're let's say it's a you know went into that scenario down seven, uh, they're pretty much in field goal range right away. They could kick a field goal and be up two possessions on you right right off the bat. Um, so I don't know. I, I certainly would uh, would like to see it tried. Why not do that in the preseason and and some other things? Workshop that in the AAF and, and some of these other minor leagues. For the first time ever, a single Division One conference will represent the country in the 2019 Pan Am Games. A Big East All Star team will play representing USA Basketball. Yeah, all for that. Uh, you know that goes back to the old days when the U.S. Olympic team was the team that won the college national championship in the previous cycle somewhere there. So let's um, happen in recent international competition where Kansas has been Team USA or I think Purdue uh, with Matt Painter was Team USA, you know, represented them. And I forget exactly which might have been the World University Games where they were the competition. So uh, using a team instead of an all-star team. This concept here is is great. I would love to see the ACC all-star. It would probably be the best one, right? Not necessarily, I guess. There's a lot of talent out there in the – uh, SEC or whatever, but uh, that that's pretty cool. Good for them. And a modern miracle has occurred on this day. A man who is famous for his guitar riffs and notoriously snorting his father's ashes as if they were cocaine. I didn't know that. How did I not know that? Yeah, that's like his big story, right? Oh, I mean, is I it, just was—he's just known for looking older than he looks. Like death warmed over. Ground him up in a little bit of his blow. He said, "I couldn't." Uh, Keith Richards. Yes, I, I couldn't resist. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't resist doing it. Uh, he mixed he, it in with the blow. Yeah. So it's probably a negligible amount of ashes. <laughs> Either way, it's weird. Yeah. Seventy-five today. Amazing. He looks like a hundred and seventy-five. He doesn't look and, good. And you wonder how he's made it at all. I mean, God bless him. That. Uh, that man's done some hard living. Yeah, and the, the, there's hope for all of oh us. Oh my God, the pictures of him in the '60s and '70s yeah. are amazing. How about those glasses? Oh, he's got some uh, great quotes. He's got to have some stories to tell, though, huh? There you go. On the stone, what's that? The Stones' relationship with the Beatles. What was the Stones? This this should be a Rick DiUlio segment. What was the Stones' relationship with the Beatles? Uh. There are different, basically, differences between the bands. The Beatles were basically a vocal band. We were... Yeah. They all sang in one song. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating stuff. All right, cool. All right. Snorted uh, his dad. That's that's messed up. His dad's ashes, I think, is probably... (laughs) (laughs) Feels like that's an important (laughs) distinction that I need to to make and to to point out, but uh, it's still weird, and uh, good for Keith Richards. 75. If you'd asked me right when I walked into the station today how old he was, I might have... I might have guessed that he's 85. <laughs> On hanging out with Johnny Depp, it took me two years before I figured out who he was. Then one day I was at dinner with him, and I'm like, whoa, Edward Scissorhands. <laughs> <laughs> Meaning he was he just thought he's he was this dude, dude named for, John and yeah, didn't know he was out, an actor. He's been friends so what do you do? That <laughs> <laughs> never came up. <laughs> Is that usually like the, the first thing of small talk? Oh, that's funny. What they just do drugs together or something, and Must then have. secondarily figure, hey, what, what's your name? <laughs> Whoa, Edward Scissorhands. Okay, all right. Uh, back with Josh Wetzel talking Buffalo basketball. Next, we'll wrap the show with that in the booth on ESPN Radio. This is in the booth, presented by CH Insurance. In your corner. 
Good to have CH Insurance along for the ride. Good to have you with us here as well. Back tomorrow. Here's Thursday with Mike Waters uh, talking Syracuse basketball. Friday on the program as well, 2 to 3 every day here on ESPN Radio. Our next guest is Josh Wetzel, the longtime play-by-play voice of uh, the University of Buffalo basketball. Always uh, good to check in with Josh. And this is, uh, Josh, an unscripted talk radio moment. You ready? Okay. Harold Baines, go. Uh, probably not a Hall of Famer, but I'm okay if he's in there. Really? Okay. Is that what you're going with? Yeah. 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 yeah I mean, I Andrew Martinez has got to get in now, right? Well, sure. I guess my thing was, and, and I don't mean to make it a running joke, but uh, Josh is the uh, distinguished uh, baseball announcer uh, most recently with the uh, Rochester Red Wings and will be a, a Major League Baseball announcer someday. But uh, we talked about it you know, for a couple of days. It's become a running joke, and I don't mean it to be a joke at Harold Baines' expense because God bless right. him for his accomplishments. Good for him. My point is, if he's in, then we're going to need a new building. Gonna, yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, but uh, I just I don't want to denigrate the guy because he had a really nice career and he did was a very good player. He was okay. Hall of very good. All right, basketball. You know the the theme as I look at it. You know to try to maybe talk with the Syracuse fan base this week about Buffalo is look Buffalo may have at one point been kind of the cute state school down there and they're winning some games and they made the tournament once. Well, now it's regularly in the tournament. It's blasting Arizona. What what were the steps that led from getting things rolling a little bit to being in the top 15? You mean going back a few years? Yeah. Even? Yes. Hello. Uh, I would say, you know, let's face it, starting with Bobby Hurley was right. a national name when they hired him. So I think that uh, that put them more in the, the national landscape a little bit. And then just the, the caliber of players they've gotten is a lot better than it was uh, you know, six, seven, eight years ago. I mean, I think that's uh, that's the number one thing it boils down to. And and Nate Oates is a really good coach and, and has been able to attract players and, and has created a kind of uh, culture within the team that has has obviously worked very, very well. And I think it I think it's helped too the fact that they've scheduled a lot more difficult the last few years also. They've played a lot more high profile programs and now gotten to the point where they've managed to beat some of them. And so uh, it's just kind of been on an upward trend. And I think I also think they have gotten pretty fortunate with the particular group of guys they have right now who just happen to be a, a really good mix of players and personalities. And I don't know that they necessarily knew that they were going to turn out this good, but uh, but it kind of has uh, turned out that way, fortunately for UB at this point. Josh Wetzel, our guest, the uh, voice of University of Buffalo basketball. How did Buffalo get to the top 15 this year? Well, that was by opening eyes with a huge win in overtime at West Virginia. West Virginia hasn't really backed that up this year. They've not had a, an awesome season. But C.J. Massenburg put up 43 in that game, and he's clearly no joke. This is a, a Buffalo team that has gone on, Josh, to uh, to back that up. But what was it like that night in, in Morgantown? Well, it was great. And, you know, if, if I think back to that game, at that point, you know, West Virginia was in the top 25. And Buffalo honestly didn't play that great except for Massenburg in that game. And uh, West Virginia was leaving a lot of Buffalo players open and Massenburg was about the only guy making any shots had Buffalo played. I think at the level they're capable of that game never would have gone to overtime and UB would have won in regulation. But I think even though West Virginia, at least right now seems to be down, if you can go into Morgantown and beat them, I think that says a lot, but you know, I think that was a win that propelled them into the top 25, but uh, last season, the way things ended for UB, beating Arizona as convincingly as they did, 
and with so many players back from last year's bunch, I think that put them on the radar screen to be in those that group of, of teams getting a lot of votes for the top 25, which then nudged them over the edge then once they did knock off the Mountaineers. It's uh, six of the top seven scorers from last year's team are back. It was a close game here in the Dome. It was one that was really in doubt with about three minutes to go. Syracuse closed the game strong. What has Coach Oates said to you and to the team, Josh, about you know what he thinks of Syracuse and, and uh, how he makes sense of the fact that you know here it's a – the, the fans are up in arms coming off a, a loss on Saturday, and Syracuse is still trying to find itself. Yeah, I think they're a little surprised by that. I know the, the coaches openly really wish that Syracuse would have won Saturday for a couple of different reasons. Uh, you know, they just would have preferred that SU was coming off a win over Old Dominion. Uh, it's interesting, Saturday the, the Bulls played against a zone defense a lot from Southern Illinois, and they had not played against the zone very much this year at all. And so SIU kind of did UB a little bit of a favor, I think, preparing for this game because they played some zone Saturday. Now, Buffalo did not play very well against the SIU zone Saturday. And for some reason in the second half of that game, SIU went away from that zone, which kind of did Buffalo, I think, a real favor as they won, they won fairly easily. But, uh, you know, as it turned out, I think Barry Henson playing his zone some on Saturday maybe has helped UB at least get prepared for the game tonight. Yeah, we'll see how that works out. Northeastern played Eastern Michigan the game prior to Syracuse and got off to an okay start but didn't play especially well uh, here in the Dome. So we'll we'll see what type of uh, preparation benefit that is. You know, at your suggestion, Josh, I listened to the podcast that uh, Nate Oates did with uh, the former Wake Forest coach, Coach Beheim's friend Dave Odom uh, for the uh, NABC. And they got into a lot of things, but one of the – topics that came up was playing against the zone and learning how to do that and, and Nate Oates said he still has plays from a VHS tape that Dave Odom yeah. used to coaching zone offense uh, decades ago so he's clearly a, a student of the industry and looks like he'll be polishing off some of that again tonight yeah he's he's kind of an offensive minded coach I think uh, although I would say this year even though the analytics maybe don't point it out I think Buffalo's been more impressive defensively than offensively. They've been very inconsistent, I think, offensively, because quite frankly, I think this UB team has a lot of good shooters, but not great shooters. And there are some games where they shoot great. There's some other games, like last Saturday, for example, they didn't shoot great. So I think a lot of it's going to come down tonight to whether or not they can just simply knock down shots. If they do hit shots tonight it's probably going to be a pretty good night for Buffalo. If they don't, it could be a long night for UB. Yeah, Buffalo took 33s in its last game against Southern Illinois' zone on Saturday, hit seven of them, and went on to win that game by eight. All right, Josh, thanks for your time. We will see you at the Dome tonight, okay? Sounds good, Matt. Thanks, man. That's the great Josh Wetzel, voice of the UB Bulls basketball program. Good dude, and good to have him spend a few moments telling us about this team. We didn't touch on Nick Perkins who's really, for my money, I guess you'd call him the second-best player for Buffalo behind C.J. Massenburg, who's an all-conference candidate. Perkins was all-conference last year. He was also the sixth man of the year in the Mid-American Conference. He's the kind of guy that I think is a bad matchup, let's say, for Pascal Chuku. Pascal's 7-2. Perkins is more like 6-8, maybe maybe 6-9 at the most, but he's 255 pounds. He plays hard. He's a bull and, uh, you know, kind of... Takes advantage, I think, of uh, Chuku's slender stature, and we'll see if Pascal can hold his ground tonight. All right, thanks to the callers today, and thanks to our guests, Cam Lynch and Josh Wetzel. For Tommy Hogan, 
out in the bullpen. And for Paulie Sibili, I'm Matt Park. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you tonight on the radio. The Orange take on Buffalo on ESPN Radio.